Our scripture reading this morning is from Numbers 21, 4 through 9. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is God's word. Most journeys don't involve going in a straight line from point A to point B. There are usually twists and turns along the way. Sometimes we blow it and have to make a fresh start. So how can we get it right in our journey with Christ? There is a book in the Old Testament that can really help. Numbers. It's not about the numbers. The book in Hebrew is actually called Bamidbar, which means in the desert of. The desert was God's classroom or lab for the training and preparation of Israel for a great adventure that was to follow. And we've been going through this book and learning some lessons along with Israel. First, they learned God is our difference maker. It doesn't matter what we bring to the table. It matters what he brings to the table. God is our difference maker, with me, without me. We've learned that God's grace is our protection. Our safety is really in the circle of God's grace. We've learned that God's gifts are good. When God gives us something, don't look at the hole in the donut. Look at the donut, and what God gives us is good. Lesson number four we learned is choose the easy way. You get to choose which way you'll learn the lesson. You don't get to choose whether you will learn the lesson or not. God has something he wants us to learn, and we get to choose easy way, hard way. Choose the easy way. Israel didn't, but that's what we should. Then we saw brokenness is good. It's actually a grace gift from God when God's people are broken over the things that break his heart. And then last week, we looked at brace for grace or stated another way, embrace grace and then throw grace. This morning, we're going to look at another passage, which uh, was just read to you, and we're going to trust God's remedy for snake bite. Here's the outline of the passage. First is when sin bites, that's verses four, five, and six. Then the gift of brokenness, which is a sign of progress, that's verse seven. And then looking to the bronze serpent, that is verses 8 and 9. Ferdinand de Lesseps was the hero of the Suez Canal. He was the one responsible for the French 
effort to build the Suez Canal and everyone was so enamored by this genius of engineering and effort. And so he was the one who was commissioned to build a canal across the Isthmus of Panama. And for some reason, Ferdinand de Lesseps got it in his mind that the only way this canal is going to work is if it is at sea level the whole way through. And so they were pouring tremendous amounts of money and effort, et cetera, in an enterprise that ultimately failed because the way in which Ferdinand de Lesseps wanted to make this work wasn't going to work. No amount of effort was going to do it. It was an impossible task to build a sea level canal through the Isthmus of Panama. Sometimes there are things we encounter where there is no solution. But God is someone who says, don't tell me what's impossible. With God, all things are possible. God can solve impossible problems. And the passage we're gonna look at this morning is one of those passages where God solves an impossible problem. And when God shows Israel what to do if they're bitten by a serpent, his remedy is about way more than just snake bite, as we will see. So let's jump in. They set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. This is when the snake, when sin bites. And the people became impatient because of the journey. In other words, there was a course correction. And they were saying, what? We're going this way? We'll never get there. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water and we loathe this miserable food. Say again, there's no food, but you hate the miserable food? Okay. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. You know, uh, we use our phones and our cars now, but there used to be these little things, the GPS, you know, that just stuck on your dash. And if you started to go a different way than what it told you, uh, we had a name for ours, we called her Tilly. And Tilly would say, recalculating, recalculating. Well, that's what happened here. Moses decided Israel is not ready to confront the Edomites. We're going to go around. And so they were recalculating. And this actually became a trigger for expanded grumbling. They, they started whining and complaining and saying, what are you doing, Moses? And it was also, and what are you doing, God? And they said this, we will die before we get there. There is no food and water and we hate this food. <laughs> uh, sometimes when you're whining and complaining, you get a little irrational. That's my take on this is that, you know, basically what it is, is they're saying there's no real food. And water is such a hard commodity to come by and the food we're getting we really don't like even though this is fantastic. Think of how you'll take your, you know, your uh, protein bars or whatever. God is providing manna which apparently is capable of sustaining someone for 40 years. Now granted, on year 39 I would be a little tired of manna for breakfast, manna for lunch and manna for dinner but it has demonstrated the fact that it is capable of sustaining me for a long time. 
Moses and God are the grumble targets. They're complaining against Moses, but they're also, the text tells us, they're complaining against God. You need to understand something about sin. All sin bites. It does not promote our good. This was the first serpent's strategy in the Garden of Eden. To sow the thought, God is holding out on you. You know, yeah, you've got this wonderful garden and all that's great, but God knows that if you eat this fruit, this is an advantage that you will realize and he's holding out on you. And that was the same lie that Israel was believing in this moment. God, you don't know what you're doing. You've not done what it's obvious needs to happen. Here's my question for you. In what ways are you being tempted to live on your terms and not God's because you think your life will be better when you have it your way? God's way is not a hindrance. It's actually our help. Uh, for example, Psalm 84:11 it says, "For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. Get this, no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly." In other words, if God withholds something, it's because it's not good. If God gives something, it is good. In Jeremiah, Israel was believing in this lie again, and the prophet told them what God says, your iniquities have turned these away and your sins have withheld good from you. When you choose to go your way instead of God's way, when I choose to go my way and not God's way, I'm actually working my harm, not by benefit. Oh, I may think, no, my life will really be helped if I do this. I'll feel so much better if I lose it with the kids but I am not promoting what is good and it will work out harm. All sin will always work against our good. Now this may not be readily apparent. There may be moments, in fact, uh, both Solomon and David made mention of this in the Old Testament. They talked about the way in which it looks like the person who is defying God is actually prospering, but it is but for a season, it's illusory. How do you fight the good fight? You will be less inclined to crave evil things when you see the object of your temptation as bait in the trap, because that's what it is. Don't think that because something looks desirable when it's contrary to God's word, that it's gonna work your benefit, it won't. And the best thing to do is to use scripture to identify bait. Use God's word to help you understand things that God would say, this is wrong. Well, then I can know for a fact that if it looks desirable and I am tempted to do it, it's actually bait in Satan's trap. You will make wise choices when you resist the pull to correct God's opinion. Verse seven, so the people came to Moses and they said, we have sinned because we've spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. This is unprecedented. This is actually the first time 
that Israel replaces blame casting with brokenness. You know, in the previous encounters that we've seen, the one we looked at last week was so stunning for the fact that here, after Korah's rebellion, after the earth has swallowed up these rebels, Israel's saying, we identify with them. Who are you, Moses and God? <laughs> and there's no brokenness. But here there's actual brokenness. And it's the first sighting of that in Israel's journey. This is progress. Here is an honest self-assessment. They say, we have spoken against the Lord and you. They were capable of actually acknowledging, here's how we've blown it. Here's how we've done what's wrong. God actually likes this. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. God is actually attentive to the person who is capable of saying, I have blown it. I have sinned against you. And God says, I'm paying attention. I'm listening to you. God delights to attend to those who can admit they have blown it. Which seems so counterintuitive, isn't it? We think that if we are successful, that if we do well, God will listen. And God says, I am attentive to the one who is truly broken by the things that break my heart. I'm listening to him. The people make a very astute request. They basically say, Moses, would you please intercede with the Lord? They're acknowledging we don't have any leverage with God. Our only hope lies in intercession by another. So Moses interceded and God revealed his solution. And by the way, in the account of Numbers uh, and all the way to when they enter into the land, this is the last instance of travel grumbling. In other words, this was the last point. Apparently, Israel got it. And the Israel who went into the land had effectively learned grumbling bad. Seems like a simple lesson, but they learned it. Grumbling bad. Took a while, but they got it. So here's what the Lord did in response to the intercession by Moses in verses 8 and 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Death is the consequence of sin. And they had sinned. They had grumbled against God. And the consequence of their sin was a serpent, a snake, that would bite them. And the bite was fatal. But God decides to provide a grace-based remedy. There's no merit involved. The remedy involves something lifted up and placed in public view. So basically, and it says bronze, but it's probably copper. And so here was a pole that would be tall. And there was a bronze, and it's probably copper, serpent that was put on that pole. And so Moses, I don't know where this was positioned, but just imagine that someone was 
going about their day, doing whatever they're doing, gathering some manna, and they go, ah! They, they just got, you okay, everybody good? Okay. Uh, they got bit by a snake. All they have to do is look at that serpent, and they are immediately, completely healed. <laughs> what? The serpent on a stick is actually showing the consequence of sin. Look up here. This serpent is a reminder that when you sin against God, you're going down the serpent path. That's the emblem. And I want you to stare at what you've done. And you'll be healed. Those who look to this remedy with a believing heart are delivered from death. Those who do not look are not saved. I mean, can you imagine being bit by the snake and going, I'm not gonna look at that stupid serpent on a pole. And you'll die. <laughs> All you had to do was just look and you would be healed. By what foolishness would a man refuse to look? Yeah, but I've got some, some great elixirs in my backpack, and, and, I've, and I've even watched the YouTube video of how when you get bit by a snake, you know, you pull out the venom, and it'll, it'll be, you know, I got this. Yeah, you got this all the way to where you'll keel over. <laughs> Forget what you saw on YouTube. I don't know if they had, I, I do know. They didn't have YouTube, okay. <laughs> Just look at the serpent on a stick. That's all you have to do. That's all God says you need to do. Just look at that and you will be okay. Don't trust in your own efforts, but in God's remedy for your sin. It's up to you if you will look at it, but if you will, you will be healed. Now, what is going on here? I mean, <laughs> what's this about? I want to read you a verse. I probably don't have to read it. We probably could all quote it. It's one of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible, John 3:16. It says, you want to say it with me? Let's try. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Can you quote the previous two verses? A few of you might be able to, I suppose. Do you notice the little word for on the beginning of John 3.16? That's what's called an explanatory gar. It, uh, what's that? Um, it's basically saying verse 16 is an explanation for verses, the two previous verses, 14 and 15. You want to understand John 3.16? John 3.16 is actually casting some light on something said in the previous two verses. Well, what do those previous two verses say? Here they are. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see what the four is there? 
He's basically saying, Moses lifted up a serpent on a pole, and I am going to be lifted up on a pole, like the serpent. And just as those who looked to this serpent on a pole were saved from the consequences of their sin, so everyone who looks to me will be saved from the consequences of their sin, truly and ultimately. Now, as I'm reading that, you know, there's a part of me that's going, this is kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, here's a, a pole with a serpent, and Jesus is basically saying, and I'm gonna be like the serpent? Doesn't that strike you as a little weird or odd? What is going on here? So let me pose this question uh, to you. Would you be willing to, in, without Christ, let's say that Christ had never come and died on the cross, how well would you fare if you entered into the presence of God? It wouldn't end well. <laughs> Trust me. Here's a passage, this is Jeremiah 30, 21, that talks about this fact. Now, this is actually a prediction that relates to the Messianic king, Jesus. And it says, their leader shall be one of them and their ruler shall come forth from their midst and I will bring him near and he shall approach me. He's basically saying the, the Messiah is going to be a king who I'm gonna actually draw him near and he's going to approach me and stand in my presence. For who would dare to risk his life to approach me, declares the Lord. Here's God saying, it would be crazy for anyone to come into my presence. Now the, the Messiah will be able to do that, but he's Jesus, he's perfect. None of us could do that and survive, right? Jesus is the only one who is fit to stand in the presence of God. As sinners, none of us would survive in his presence. Now here to me is one of the most amazing statements that I can make this morning. It is profound. Jesus could come into the presence of Father and he would be okay. He's the only one, because he's the only one who's sinless. Jesus volunteered to come into the presence of the Father in my place. He came into the presence of the Father as me. And do you know what I look like? A sin-bit serpent on a pole. The serpent on the pole is depicting this. It's actually saying he became the sum and substance of our sin in our place. When Jesus says, I'm, when Moses lifted up the pole and you saw a serpent on a pole, that's an image of what's happening to me. I'm going to the cross, but I'm going to the cross as you. Sin bit souls. I mean, I can't, I don't know how to even process that. Now, it's, it's in the Bible. Here, for example, in 2 Corinthians, it says this. 
He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When Father released his son to go to the cross, he became me, sinful me, sinful you. And he took upon himself everything that I deserve, that you deserve. He received it. Now, praise God, he lives, which demonstrated it's paid in full. You don't walk away from the penitentiary until your debt has been paid. Jesus walked away from the grave because the payment has been made in full. My debt, your debt, paid in full by the one who went to the cross and who dared to come into the presence of God as me and receive what I deserve and what you deserve. Jesus said, I'm going to be lifted up the same way. And he says, whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. That's the same as the serpent on the pole. Remember, when you were bit by the snake, you look at him and you live. Now that solved the serpent problem, but it didn't, it only is depicting what would someday happen that solves the sin problem at its core. This cross, this is a place where everyone who has been bitten by sin, which by the way, is true of all of us. Adam and Eve were bitten by sin and the venom of that dwells in all their progeny, which every man and woman, child in this room is a son or daughter, a son of Adam or daughter of Eve. But what Jesus said is just as the serpent was raised up on a pole, that's a picture of what I am going to be on the cross and I am going to be you, the sin-blemished, sin-bitten soul and I am going to receive everything that you ought to receive, which means that the same remedy, which is simply, will you look at the cross, is ours to use. Just as they looked at the serpent, we can look at the cross and see the one who took our place and we can be healed of this thing called sin. We can be delivered from it. In this room, there are two types of people. There's only two. Those who have looked at him and those who have not. I want to speak to both. Let me start with those who have looked at him. And I'm using have looked as at some point in the past, you looked at the cross and you embraced Jesus Christ as your savior on the cross by faith and have continued to do so. So those who have looked means those who at some point in history have looked to the cross and have continued to keep looking. That is where my salvation lies. Jesus, let me speak to you. Those of you who have never done this, I'll talk to you in a minute, but let me speak to you who have done this. Jesus became us. 
He was branded as the snake in our place so that there is nothing left to us and to our effort but to look to the one who was branded and judged in our stead. In other words, he did it all. He accomplished everything necessary for our salvation. There's nothing on my side that is a necessary component. Simply looking to him changes everything. What an amazing remedy. This is better than some vaccine or anything. Just look at the cross and the greatest problem, the greatest disease known to man is solved. Dying men and women now live. In fact, they're they're not judged. In fact, how could they be? It's not possible for us to be judged without God saying what my son did was not good enough. When we looked at the cross and embraced Jesus by faith as Lord and Savior, in that moment, the cords that bind us to this dying world were broken. We become new men, new women, who now hail from a different world, the world of the living, not the dying. Are you not in awe of such a miracle of grace? We didn't do anything. Jesus did it all. All we do is look. In which case I ask this question, to those who have looked up, how can we not become ambassadors of such a stunning reconciliation? I live. I am a resident of the world of the living. I am a citizen of heaven. So are you if you have looked. And I didn't do anything except look up. Paul got this. He he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Look up. Paul embraced his mission as an ambassador. He invites any who have not looked up to join him. And... Here's my key for those of you who have done this. Those who are in awe of God's grace can't stop talking about it. Have you ever been at a family gathering where there's one family member, an uncle, for example, who had some profound event that occurred and it doesn't matter what the conversation is about, it always comes back to whatever this was in his history? That ought to be a picture of us. The one thing that defines us is Jesus accomplished everything necessary for our salvation when he became me and you on the cross and received what is due us and all that remains for us is to look to him. Whom has God placed in your life who needs to hear this amazing message? This is amazing grace. Will you sing it? Will you speak it? Will you live it? This is why we're here on this planet. Will you tell the world and the one next door about amazing grace that was accomplished on the cross? Well, okay, Jim, I I, want to do that. How do I do that? How, how? Great question. I'm so glad you asked. Here's Here's a way that you can start a conversation about this, okay? I'm not saying this is the one you should use, but by way of illustration. So you could go up to someone and say, hey, 
Man, is this not a crazy world we live in? What do you think of the vaccine, the boosters and all that? You know, where, where are you coming from on that? And it doesn't matter, you know, whether they're a, an ultra-vaxxer or a, go on with your life in terms of how they reply. Just, you know, where, where are you coming from? What do you think about all that? And then I would say, you know, there was a really interesting story in the Old Testament about a 100% about a effective cure for fatal snake bite. Want to hear about it? <laughs> and then we'll have a conversation. <laughs> may not be what they thought was coming, but that's okay. If they say yes to the one to hear about it, you're good to go. All those who have looked to the cross and seen Jesus as the perfect and sufficient payment for our sin can't stop talking about it. That's who we are. Memphis needs to hear from ambassadors of grace who can't stop talking about what Jesus has done. That's who we are. There's a second group in this room. You may be someone who has never looked up to the cross that way. God gave Jesus as the ultimate sin remedy. It says this in 2 Corinthians. I've quoted it once, but here it is again. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Dying man, dying men and women are saved by the dying man, but only if they look to him as their sufficient remedy. Have you? You know, I watched the movie Don't Look Up, which I'm not necessarily, uh, I'm not recommending the movie or not, it doesn't matter, but I found it quite entertaining. Here's the basic premise of the movie, which I realized was produced as a, uh, a boost to everyone's awareness of global warming and how we ought to acknowledge that as what's gonna destroy the planet. Um, Here's what I found so ironic about this movie. Uh, in the movie, basically a comet is sighted that as it turns out is on a collision course to Earth. And even though uh, different proposals were, were put forward about how we could divert the comet, uh, eventually, you know, because people didn't take it seriously, uh, the, the planet was destroyed. And what I found so ironic about that is, one, I happen to know that our greatest threat, and I know this because of Revelation and because of what I understand of Revelation, um, our, our greatest threat is not extinction by a, a comet. Uh, there may be something that is a, a comet hit that's mentioned in Revelation, but it's not a planet killer. Our greatest threat is that we are all sons of Adam and daughters of Eve who have been bit by this thing called sin and we are dying. All of us are dying. But there is a remedy to look at the cross. What I found so interesting in the movie is they present two factions. You know, there's a grouper saying, their slogan is, don't look up. Don't look up and see the comet and see the threat. 
And then there's another group who are celebrating, look up and recognize the threat that is coming. <clears throat> I would say that of the, of the cross, our world wants to convince you that there's so many things that are more important that you need to be engaged in. And I'm saying, just look up. Dying men and women are saved by the dying man, but only if they look to him as their sufficient remedy. Have you? A threat far greater than a comet looms. Everyone born as a son of Adam and daughter of Eve has been bitten by the serpent. We are all sinners and dying. And if you have never looked up to the cross, there is a remedy. All that is needed is for you to look up in faith at the cross where Jesus accomplished everything you need to be forgiven and reconciled with Father. Today, right now, you can look at the cross and be healed. Would you like to do that right now? You can come to the cross and someone will help you and pray with you as you look up. Or you can pray right now, right where you are, I'll help you. But after the service, come to the cross where someone has a gift for you if you have prayed to look up to Jesus as the full and sufficient payment for your sin. In a moment, I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna pray two prayers. One for those who have looked up, and one for those who have never looked up, but who want to. If you have looked up, then you can sing with boisterous gratitude and passion to make his grace known. You ought to be those who are, when you leave church, you're out there singing to the world about his grace. If you've not looked up to Jesus as your savior, you can do that even while we are singing. Simply come forward to the cross and pray where you are. So let's pray. First I'll pray for those of you who have looked to the cross and then I will pray a prayer for those who have not but who want to. Let's pray. Father, we see the simplicity of what happened when the serpents were unleashed. And we look at this amazingly simple solution. You provided, because of grace, a way for anyone who wants to, to look up to the serpent on the pole and be healed. And that's an image through which we can see the simplicity of what is ours in Christ. Jesus Christ, like the serpent on a pole, was put on the cross. He took our place. He died for us. And there's nothing needed, nothing more to be added. He did it all. It but remains for us to just look at the cross by faith. And for each who have done that, May we live throughout this week, throughout this month, for the rest of our days as ambassadors of this incredible grace that you have provided. May we be men and women in our community who are on fire for the fact that we have been shown such incredible, amazing grace simply because we looked up. If you have never looked up before, here is a prayer that you can pray and I will give you the words and you can pray them as your own if you choose. God, I am a sinner. And I know that I deserve death as the penalty for my sin. 
But I also believe that Jesus died on the cross in my place. He took the penalty that I deserve. He made it possible for me to be restored to you as my father. And so I am choosing right now in this moment by faith to name Jesus as my savior who died on the cross for me. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you wanna kind of put an exclamation point on it, come on front to the front where someone will meet with you and you can declare to the Lord, I am choosing to look up in this moment. Uh, for all the rest who would say, I've looked up and I'm in awe of what God has done. Here's a moment for us to be able to celebrate this amazing grace that he has given to us. We are a people on fire because we have been shown such amazing grace.